Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegel here with Greg Barnes and Ross Martin talking UNC football recruiting. Guys, UNC held its first camps of the season last week. The check-in was Thursday, and then the actual first camp was on Friday. Inside Carolina was there on site as always. So guys, um, Greg, let's go ahead and start with, with you, man. What was your impression of just how the team like emotionally felt that, that you saw on Friday? Like, was everyone kind of just excited and really prepared to put that three and nine season last year behind them? Yeah, it seemed to be. Although I think the fact that it was raining pretty good uh, during the morning on Friday, I think kind of dampens it a little bit. It's, it's kind of the, the irony of it is you know you you're in the process of, of building a, a indoor practice facility that you would like to be able to use, but when it's raining, uh, you you're not able to actually be working on the outside portion of it, uh, and so you. I think the construction workers were, were not over there at the construction site while the team was practicing in the rain. So uh, it's kind of some, some odd logistics there, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, the, the players seem to be excited. Um, I think you know, they got through last season, uh, went through kind of a tough stretch there in January, February with Blue Dawn and those types of things before spring ball. And since spring ball, you know, they finished up their, their schoolwork and they've had a lot of team-building activities. Uh, they've welcomed the – you know, the freshmen, uh, you've seen some leadership kind of evolve, I'm sure. Uh, we haven't got full details on that yet. That's that's yet to come in the, in the coming days and weeks. But um, I think to kind of you flip the page, like you said, and kind of start, start fresh. It's humorous to me. Uh, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but, you know, you go to the ACC kickoff and people are like, oh, Carolina was 3-9 last year. I mean, why would anybody think they're going to be better? It's like they just completely forget about the injury situation. Um, so I think maybe one way that benefits North Carolina is that they're going to be able to you know, come out and if they go six and six, which while some of the fans may not think that's very good, most people say, hey, they went from three to six and six. That's a pretty bump. I mean, they doubled their, their win total, even though I, I think, you know, that's kind of the, the baseline of what a lot of us are thinking, you know, get back to a bowl game will be a good year. So, yes, I, I think they're – they show some excitement, but I think just the fact that you've got some new coaches out there uh, and they are back at Keenan maybe wasn't quite the, the full excitement you would expect as they're kind of feeling their way uh, through the, the first couple of practices. And then, of course, you know, by Wednesday, they'll be in full pads and, and the excitement will, will be their full force. All right. Well, you mentioned the coaches there. So, Ross, let's swing it over to you, man. What did you observe about the coaches for this first practice of the season we're there 30 minutes i mean you can't really tell much and that's not what we're focusing on greg watched the offense i looked at the defense i thought the rain kind of added a cool little uh, 
it wasn't like pouring down, so it wasn't miserable. I kind of, I think it added a cool little mystique to the first day of practice. The, I think the excitement level was where it should be um, with, with no pads and just getting out there and, and doing some real football stuff. And I think Greg hit on a, a really interesting thing about how expectations are so low for this team. They're um, supposed to finish what eight, the media picked them to finish sixth in the coastal. I think Virginia was behind them finishing seventh. And I'm going back to the stat that Greg put into a story that I've been using here and there to kind of frame some different things that I've written. You know, they lost 77 starts last year over the course of the of the the season. And even though the three and nine mark looks really bad on paper, UNC led in eight of the 12 games at halftime. It led in eight of the 12 games, so they were up at halftime in the majority of the games, and they had six fourth quarter leads, and that's uh. That's half of the game. Half of the games they played, and they led uh, in the fourth quarter. And so, it, it, as bad as three and nine sounds, I think this team w- was very close to you know to going five and seven or, or six and six la- six and six last year. So they didn't they didn't lose a whole lot heading to this year. Obviously, MJ Stewart's a big loss. Uh, the offensive line took some hits. Um, other than that, and linebacker too. But other than that, there, it was just not. It's not too much of a different team. And I think um, a lot of people in general, media fans, are sleeping on uh, on sleeping on UNC heading into this season. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the season starts off. Obviously, the, the hype is kind of beginning now with uh, the first practice last Friday. You mentioned that, that you watched the defense, Ross, and talking about kind of just newcomers to the team, replacing some starts that may have been lost from last season. We talked about Bryson Richardson over the summer the position coaches had some pretty glowing reviews for him. And based upon the reports, it looks like he was working out with the first team again during this practice, right? Yeah, so he plays, UNC plays a lot of nickel, which is a two linebacker, uh, essentially, and then five defensive backs. And he was kind of playing that nickel position, which is essentially kind of like a linebacker safety corner hybrid, as I I like to call it, not having, you know, detail of exactly what that role is but he's yeah, he's playing nickel he's a tall guy he's about six foot lean and he was working with the first team and that's what we thought coming out of the the spring and what uh buck sanders got from his interviews with henry henry baker about how bryson richardson has embraced that role and kind of earned it coming out of the spring given the injuries that unc had at that spot so that's kind of cool to see with javon terry was another player at safety who was with the second team Obviously, a new name there. We heard some buzz with him as well. So those are two of some of the takeaways I had with defense. Um, obviously, fans are going to be excited about the new names and, and what some of these new fresh faces can bring to the team. And Richardson and Terry are two guys that obviously we'll pay attention to throughout camp. So let's keep with the freshman talk, but switch it over to the offense. Greg, the wide receiver core is, I think, where most people are anticipating seeing some true freshmen see the field during this upcoming season. We've heard about, again, over the summer, De'Ami Brown and, you know, just how he was looking like he could really lock down that that spot. But it sounds as if he might get some pressure to see the field from another true freshman based upon what you guys reported. Yeah, well, I think you, we knew coming into this year that Antoine Green was going to be a, a big piece of the puzzle. And it's interesting how things play out because you, last fall, when you got local kids like Dami Brown and, and Jordan Adams lined up at, you know, as your wide receivers, you're thinking, wow, we've got really good wide receivers, local kids, 
that can really contribute. Uh, but when you get into you know, January, uh, you know, um, green kind of enters the, the, the picture and you're, you're hearing things about him and, you know, Florida State's all over him once Willie Taggart comes in and you know, Jason Staples uh, has a pretty good understanding of, of what FSU is looking for recruiting-wise and he has ties there. And he's like, look, you know, they really like green. Uh, and so we knew then that this kid was going to be capable of being a, a force. And then you know, Adams, of course, goes goes pro. Uh, and I, almost as if people kind of forget about Green, but just watching him just the first day, I mean, he. I think the best way to describe him from my vantage point is that he's like a slot-type receiver in terms of his lateral quickness, his foot speed, those types of things. I mean, he, very similar to a Daz Newsome type. But yet he's six three. He's a big kid. Um, he, he's he's lean. I mean he's 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 skinny right now. But still, I think can be can be productive early. And once you put some weight on him, watch out. Uh, I think he could be could be dangerous. And um, so yeah, I mean when you talk about a guy like Green and a guy like Brown, who's probably kind of worked his way into the the first unit, that gives you some indication that okay maybe you know where wide receiver was a a little bit of an issue last year until Anthony Ratliff-Williams really kind of hit his stride midway through the season. Now you've got some options. And, you know, when you're talking about guys who, who showed flashes last year, like, you know, Daz Newsom at times, you know, even Toe Groves looked good during the, the one little stretch that he was in there. Uh, Bo Corrales showed some potential. Uh, we know what Thomas Jackson can do. He's a, he's a steady option there. So now you're talking about those guys potentially being the backups. Now all of a sudden you're you're kind of dealing and you've got a lot of different options. So uh, you know, that that kind of goes with the idea that both Brown and, and Green continue to improve and are able to, you know, if not start, at least get into the rotation. Uh, and that'll be a big benefit for a, for a wide receiver group last year that, that has some question marks. Absolutely. And then especially with the question marks surrounding the, the quarterback position, having wide receivers that are dependable and can just get open and catch the ball, that's going to be a huge bonus, and it takes a lot of the pressure off of Anthony Ratliff-Williams. Let's talk about the quarterbacks in just a second, but going to give it over to Ross, who has a live read for one of our new sponsors here on the Inside Carolina podcast. So, Ross, take it away, man. Thanks, John. I'd like to introduce a new local sponsor we have for the Inside Carolina podcast. Away to Go Travel is partnered with IC to provide a better travel alternative for UNC away games. Chuck Joyce, a diehard UNC fan and Greensboro native, has reached out to us and wanted us, the IC podcast crew, to get help him get the word out. Right now, Away to Go Travel is selling packages for the Cal UNC game in Berkeley, California. The package includes round trip airfare from RDU to San Francisco a round-trip bus ride to and from the airport and the hotel, and a three-night stay in the Hotel Chautauqua Plaza in Berkeley, California. I looked up this uh, hotel, pretty nice stuff, a luxury hotel right there in Berkeley. It's only a half a mile from the stadium. This travel package makes things easier for you. It takes away the headache of booking things, finding the best price, and any and all the hassles associated with traveling to away games. So it makes things as easy as possible for you. Right now, they have six packages left for the Cal game. So head to HeelsTravel.com or call 336-855-0060 to book now. Again, that's HeelsTravel.com. The number is 336-855-0060. 
Again, that includes round-trip airfare um, from RDU to San Francisco, bus ride to and from the airport, and a three-night stay in a really nice hotel right in Berkeley. The hotel is also by the metro system, which can get you to and from the uh, to and from Berkeley to San Francisco, so you can enjoy your whole time in the Bay Area. And look forward, as we continue partnering with Away to Go Travel, look for packages to the East Carolina game and to Virginia on October 27th, and also to basketball games in Las Vegas over Thanksgiving weekend and when UNC takes on Kentucky and Chicago on December 22nd. Again, heelstravel.com. The number is 336-855-0060 to book your travel to Cal now. This is completely random, guys, but in February of 2003, so it was the year that I got married, I contacted a way to go travel in Greensboro, mm -hmm. and they booked our honeymoon to, to Punta Cana in October of 03. So they've been in business for a long time, for sure. And that's a uh, that's an interesting tie. And I didn't realize that uh, that was a sponsor you were going to be promoting, Ross. But that's uh, that brings back some pretty good memories. Yeah, they uh, they just want to do things better for UNT fans. They have a lot of packages and ideas that makes things a little bit easier. Guy seems super enthusiastic. I'm meeting with him tomorrow in Greensboro to, to work out some more details. And I'm looking forward to a pretty good partnership with them through the, the football and basketball season. Absolutely, guys. And anything that can promote travel for, for Heels fans and make that easier is definitely a positive. And hopefully Carolina has a decent showing there for that Cal game. It's going to be tough, but, you know, it's an excuse to get, fly out to sunny California, enjoy the weather out there, and enjoy San Fran. So let's get back to the talking uh, about some heels football, though. So we left off. I was going to ask Greg about the quarterback position. Probably buried the lead a little bit there since I'm sure a lot of listeners were eager, eagerly anticipating that report. And it looks like Nathan Elliott for right now is running with the ones, which has Surratt at the two. Were you at all surprised by that, Greg, or did that kind of coincide with what you were hearing leading up to camp? Yeah, everything that that we heard coming out of spring ball was that Nathan Elliott had kind of edged ahead of Surratt. Um, and, you know, we kind of saw last fall that Elliott, once he kind of got in the game against Miami, everybody kind of rallied around him. And so even when Chaz was, was back healthy, they stayed with Elliott late in the year. I think that speaks volumes. I mean, if you go back to 2013, we've had this discussion before, uh, but, you know, I, I I'm firmly believe that if Bren Renner does not get hurt before the game at Virginia Tech that year, that Mitch Trubisky starts playing uh, later in the year when Bren Renner was, was lost to the loss for the season to injury. But at Blacksburg, Marquise Williams goes in the game. Coaching staff's not expecting a whole lot out of him. And he showed incredible poise and good leadership. And that one performance, even though North Carolina lost that game, led them to end up going with him at the end of that season. We know how that turned out. Uh, you ended up his senior year, led North Carolina to the ACC championship game. Uh, and so, you know, not, not comparing Nathan to, to Marquise at this point, but I'm just saying that what Nathan did at the end of last year, I think really kind of surprised some people, especially the way the team uh, really rallied around him. And so, uh, you know, he, he left spring ball kind of in, in the front, and you know, that's kind of confirmed on Friday. Now, what they did in spring is that they rotated Chaz and Nathan. What I mean by that is uh, Nathan would start with the ones on one day, 
the next day, Chaz would start with the ones. And it's just a way of uh, you know, splitting reps. And you know, throughout the individual practices, those guys would, would kind of do the same thing. They would go back and forth. Uh, but you know, with Nathan going with the ones first, um, you, know, you can't read too much into it, but I think that does confirm that he's, he's got a little bit of an edge, uh, but, but a long way to go before I think a, a final decision is made. Hey, Greg, how do you think you know, Fedora handles this competition? I know every year is a little bit different. Last year, you know, he had four quarterbacks vying for the job until he narrowed it down to three, then two, then one. Uh, with two quarterbacks now, you kind of alluded to something they've done in the spring. Is there any, you have any insight into kind of what you expect Fedora to do with this competition, given that it's definitely two people and we've definitely seen both of them play in games and real live action now? Yeah, I think that's the key point, Ross, because if you go back to the, the Marquise and Mitch battle, you're coming out of spring ball that year, um, I guess before 14, Mitch was probably in front. But the reason that Marquise won that battle uh, in training camp was because of his leadership. And so things can happen, uh, but you knew who you had there um, and you were kind of, you knew what Marquise had done in games. And I think that kind of gave them some comfort. Last year, you didn't know what Chaz was going to bring to the table. You didn't know what Nathan was going to bring to the table. And then you had Brandon Harris. So you were hoping that he could improve upon what he did at LSU and that he was just a better fit in the system. Uh, and so I think really they entered last year's training camp not knowing what to expect. And so they put these guys through all kinds of uh, unique situations, trying to test them, challenge them. And then ultimately you had to put them in the game anyway to see exactly what they could do. Not the case this year. Um, you, you know exactly kind of what you got. You know where they need to improve. Uh, you, know, you know where the leadership gaps are. You know where their strengths and weaknesses are. And so I think you can be a lot more specific and how you challenge them uh, and kind of push their weaknesses and those types of things. So I think it's a, it's a much more clear cut. Uh, I don't think there's as much, there's not as much uh, of an attempt by the coaching staff to say, okay, well, what, what are we trying to learn about these guys is okay. We know what we have, who can handle the workload, who can be the guy every single day that can rally his teammates because training camp sucks. Once you get like two or three weeks in, it is not fun. So who is the guy that gets his, his teammates uh, uplifted and wanting to go out there and play and wanting to win these, these drills, these team drills that they have? And so those are the things that they're, they're working on now since most of it they already have you know, a good understanding of. It's, cra- it's crazy to think about Brian Harris last year because he, he started the first game, so he won the job and then kind of fell on his face when he did play with all the interceptions and didn't do much leading to, to Surratt and then ultimately Elliott. It's a crazy thing about that. Harris had that kind of that window of, of opportunity there and, and leading coming off what you said, Greg, it just, unless Surratt is just head and shoulders physically above Elliott in terms of what it can do, running the ball, throwing the ball, you know, decision making, unless that the physical on the field attributes is so much better than, than Elliot, I think it's just Elliot's job to lose because the t- his teammates, his his junior, the juniors and seniors know him so much better. They they want to play for him. He, he's one of the guys, and he you know he's waited his turn and played behind uh, you know Marquise and Trubisky. It seems like it's kind of right now at this point his job to lose, barring Surratt making a huge huge leap from where he was in the last season in the spring. So you know we don't really see enough to kind of see the competition. So it's kind of hard to speak. 
on on what really happens in practice every day and in these scrimmages. But just from the outside looking in, it just seems that Elliot has a lead right now, and unless something crazy happens, he, he has the it's his job to lose. Is how I guess I yeah. put it. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. And I think the other component too is even if we were able to to watch a lot more practices, uh, I think the leadership dynamic is is critical. I mean, in talking with offensive coordinators over the years, I mean, dating back to on Shoop, and then to Seth Luttrell and Blake Anderson, uh, and even now in talking with with Chris Kapilovic and Keith Eckendorf, I mean, but you know, accuracy is very important, especially in this offense. But you got to be a good leader. I mean, the guys have to trust you. And that's why I kind of go back to the end of last year. We, we know that the players kind of rallied around Nathan. Um, but, you know, in talking with people around the program, Chad Stratton made strides in that regard during spring ball. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what you're looking for is, you know, can, can Chaz take that next step? And that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, again, I've said this time and time again, neither Nathan nor Chaz were supposed to play last year. You know, Mitch was supposed to come back. He has a you know, incredible 2016 year. He goes pro. You can't blame him. But then you're in a situation where you've got this gap because you missed on some some recruits, right? I mean, Ratliff Williams was the quarterback. They had to switch in the wide receiver. Caleb Henderson goes to Maryland. Um, and so now you've got a situation, you've got to bring in Brandon Harris and hope that it clicks for him. And that's kind of the thing with him last year, Ross, is it wasn't that he necessarily won the job. It was that they needed him to win the job. And so they thought it was a matter of, okay, he just needs to catch up because he didn't actually join the team until, I think, July. And so they were trying to give him some rope uh, to kind of close that gap and make sure he understood the offense. It just never happened for him. And so you're in a situation there where you've got to put these guys in the game. Um, and so we have to kind of view last year with an idea that you know, even the coaches probably didn't think those guys were quite ready but now you've got a full extra offseason. Uh, you know, Nathan's going to improve in, in some of his deficiencies. Chaz is going to improve in some of his deficiencies. That's how this works. And so I, I still think that even if we can watch you know, some of these drills and we can watch some, some scrimmages, you're still not going to get the full idea of, okay, what's going on in the locker room? You know, what's happening behind the scenes with the interactions between the team? And I think that's kind of the key point. And, uh, you know, regardless of the amount of access anybody gets, it's going to be the coaches and the players that understand that. And that's what we're going to ultimately see you know, on Saturdays this fall. All right, guys, let's take a quick commercial break. When we get back, let's talk about some of the offense and defensive lines. So we will return right after this. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Greg Barnes and Ross Martin. All right, so Ross, one of the things that I think must improve from last year if Carolina is going to have a more successful season is they've got to get have a better showing from the defensive line. The depth chart there seems pretty set right now. I think the only 
real player that was absent was Jalen Dalton, who's just uh, recovering from, from an injury. But what's your take on, on the defensive line? Do you think that they're ready to step up and kind of really be the best unit on this defense? Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's be hard to say otherwise when you ask the best unit on defense. I think what was really interesting was um, JB's interview with Tommy Thigpen, which you can find, I think it came out kind of early last week. Um, and Thigpen was very, and the Thigpen coaches the safeties, but he was very, very high on the defensive line coming out of the spring, kind of coming in as an outsider and, and watching these players he hasn't watched before. He said they could all start for Tennessee. They could all play in the SEC. There's a chance for someone to be kind of NFL draft picks. And that was very telling from a, from a coach. Maybe, maybe blowing a little smoke there. But I think on paper, the experiences there, the um, talent level is pretty high there. When you talk about Jalen Dalton and Malik Carney and Aaron Crawford, some of those guys. And I think the big thing is depth. Uh, you want to have a pretty strong too deep a defensive line other than maybe offensive line the most important position to have a really strong two deep because they're playing every down and they're they're trying to go 100 110% on every rep and to be able to move guys in and out makes your line so much more effective in the third and fourth quarter with your pass rush on third down on stopping the run when it matters on those short yardage plays and I think you have a really solid two deep interior wise with Aaron Crawford and Jalen Dalton kind of being those starters. But then it's there's not much drop-off when you move in Jeremiah Clark, uh, Jason Strobridge, and then Tyler Powell is another player who's back for his kind of fifth year at UNC. And he can play the three technique. He can play um, he can play some nose. He puts on a little more weight. And he can also move outside as well. Uh, my interview with Coach Deke Adams, some of those – that some of those articles will be coming out last week and have another one running, I think, Monday. You know, all, all those guys had really good springs and they're excited about the flexibility of a guy like Tyler Powell and the fact that Jeremiah Clark can play three technique and nose tackle. And so there's a lot of positional versatility with the interior defensive line. And on the outside, the big names are Malik Carney and Taman Fox. And Malik Carney, it may be, you know, a guy who could be an all ACC type player, 5.5 sacks last season. You would think he gets better this year if the defensive line as a whole is stronger. He might have more one-on-one opportunities. There'll be an increased focus on a focus on aggressive attacking uh, from the defensive line and just getting more pressure on the quarterback this season. And then Tamon Fox is kind of his really his second season, full season playing for UNC, having uh, only played a couple snaps as a, as a rookie. And then behind them, Alan Cater, Tyrone Hopper. Jake Lawler, there's there's definitely some names and guys of there, and so I think it's a it's a strong group. I think it could be the strongest group overall, both sides of the ball for UNC, and the defense will have to lean on those front four because behind them the linebackers there's just a lot of question marks and things we don't know. Not necessarily bad, we just don't know if Dominic Ross is ready to to be a starter, if Jonathan Smith can be a, an efficient, productive middle linebacker. So there's just a lot of questions behind the front four. So it puts so much importance on on having the, on the defensive line having a big year, stopping the run, and making some game-changing plays and get the ball back to the defense. So I think there's a lot of excitement. I think there's a lot of hype, um, and we'll see how it all plays out. But from all angles, everything seems to be set for the defensive line to have a huge year and maybe the biggest year a group has had under Larry Fedora. Well, you mentioned the linebackers there, Ross, and I thought it was inter- interesting to see names like Jeremiah Gamel and Matthew Flint 
that are already seem to be cracking the two deep. I mean, those are two names that Carolina fans have not seen before, but it sounds like we could be seeing them on the field quite a bit come Saturdays. Yeah, I think uh, I think fans should be pretty excited about Matthew Flint. Um, he was a kind of a later commit and signee that Thigpen brought. He was being recruited at Tennessee. A lot of hype around him that he could, you know, definitely play a role this season. Maybe not as a linebacker, but more on special teams and kind of work his way into the two deep there. Um, that should be a name that, that that fans should should get set. I remember someone told me the freak show that he's already a big, you know, tape guy. He loves watching tape. He's always in there. I think I wrote that in one of the linebacker scoops over the summer. So um, there's names there. It's just like there's no experience and there's just not many reps from those guys and not many starts in the system. And as we know, that's kind of what it takes to, to be an effective player. All right. So, Greg, let's talk about the offensive line then to kind of wrap up the talk about Friday's camp. You know, the offensive line had some question marks last year. That's probably the one position on the offense where there are less bodies with experience than there were last season. But there is an overall talent level that I, that I think is going to be able to produce during an, an ACC season. What are your kind of thoughts on that? And do you think that that the offensive line will kind of have enough time to gel and really be productive to give whoever's at quarterback time to make the necessary throws? Well, I think it's going to be a work in progress. And I know a lot of people are hooked on recruiting rankings and those kind of things, but you know, plenty of players have told me over the years that once you enroll and you, you start class and you start practice, you forget about your recruiting rankings. you got to play. And, uh, you know, you look at a guy like Charlie Heck, who, who really learned by fire last year, I think by the end of the year, had kind of proven himself as a, as a solid option at tackle. Uh, William Sweet, there's a lot of hype about him last year. He looked good early before he got hurt. He didn't get to play a whole lot. Uh, and then, you know, J.J. McCargo played a little bit, but didn't play a whole lot. Um, and we've had a lot of discussions on the message boards about him. And then you've got, you know, Nick Polina, who um, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody's going to try to say that he's a, the most talented guy in the world, but he's he's a veteran who's been around the block, and he's a guy that Chris Kapilovic can trust. And then you really, you got right guard, uh, you're basically just throwing bodies there and seeing what sticks. And you know, maybe, you know, maybe if we stick with the talent argument, maybe William Barnes is the guy that can emerge there. Um, but you know, right now they they moved Marcus McKeithen inside from tackle uh, just to be able to get some some size there and some bodies. Uh, Billy Ross was running with the ones on Friday. McKeithen was running with the twos. So. Uh, I think there is there is some talent there, but like you said, it's incredibly inexperienced. And so I think to expect that this group is going to be gelled and dominant by Cal, uh, I think you're fooling yourself if you think that. Now, can by the m- mid part of the season, this group really kind of lock in and and show that hey, you know what, we've got good chemistry, we can play together. Uh, we're still going to have some mix-ups. For the most part, we can be solid. Now you're talking about a group that, hey, by the end of the year, could be pretty good, and then next year, they could be really good. Uh, but I think to suggest that maybe they could be really good from the get-go now is uh, is a little little hopeful. Greg, what do you what do you think the chances are that Barnes starts day one against Cal? You think that's a realistic option? Given I mean, he looks huge. I saw him meet the heels. <laughs> 
but physically the guys there, uh, I just I wonder if you can really put it all together in the three or four short weeks we have until that game. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think really what it comes down to, the fact that he's going to be at guard helps. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I know when you know, James Hurst came in, he was all world uh, and started immediately at tackle. And Bentley Spain came in and had high you know, rankings and all that kind of stuff too. And people were asking, hey, you know, Hurst, started day one can Spain start day one and Kapilovic was very much like hold your horses it's very <laughs> difficult to start as a true freshman uh, Hurst was a unique individual and let's let things play out let's let these kids kind of grow up and mature but when you start talking about you coming inside and playing at one of those guard spots uh, if you've got a veteran on either side of you you can kind of cover up some of your your screw-ups and I think when you look at his, he is, he's a massive kid. And when you look at his kind of mentality, apparently he's, he's very tough and gritty and uh, he likes to scrap, which I think is needed on this offensive line. Uh, he's physically ready. So I, I think there's a lot of signs to say, hey, if he can beat out the other guys kind of you know, battling that for that position, sure, he could start. Um, you know, I, I do think that the fact that they've moved McKeithen tells you a lot about uh, what they have at guard and they may have some talent there in terms of recruiting rankings. Uh, but last year, nobody was really able or, or at a point in their development to step forward and play. So Barnes is not, not far behind those guys. So yeah, I, mean, I, I, I could see him start for sure. And I think you don't think you had him in your two deep. Is that right? Correct. Barnes. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It was the first day of camp, so I mean that, that could definitely change. You know, two weeks from now when we're there, we could see him running with the ones Absolutely. or running running too deep right behind one of the other guys. Yep. Yeah, and I think Barnes. I mean, as you mentioned, Ross, he's definitely got the physical tools. I think it's just going to come down to can he grasp the offense in time, and you know what his um, ability to really gel with the other guys are. Greg, I almost forgot this, but the running back position. Just touch briefly upon that. Antonio Williams is going to be eligible to play this year. Jordan Brown and Michael Carter, last year starters, are healthy now for the start of camp. So just touch on briefly on those guys because I think, you know, all three are kind of known quantities. I think what's important in that is that there's actually depth at, at that position now going into the season. And real quick, Greg, we were talking about running backs, freshman running backs in the office uh, after Friday. We forgot about Devin Lawrence. That was another freshman. Yep. They brought yeah, in I mean, three. That- they brought three freshmen plus Antonio Williams, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, they've got a lot of bodies is the point. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, last year this time, we were talking about, okay, Jordan Brown's in orange jersey. Michael Carter's in orange jersey. Stanton Truitt's in a red jersey. Um, Antoine Branch was in a red jersey. And so you're kind of looking around saying, okay, Jonathan Sutton was a linebacker. And now he's getting reps with the ones. This does not bode well. And now you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, so Carter's out there. Brown's out there. Now you've got Antonio Williams. You've got all these freshmen out there. Sutton's still in that group. Um, you know, Anton Branch is back. He's a big kid. You know, Kane Roberts was another one last year who had to switch from linebacker to running back just to get the numbers. So now you've got this kind of wealth of, of bodies, which is key, but you also have talent there. And I think the thing with Antonio Williams, and I'd be curious to, to hear Ross's take on this real quick, but 
Carter and Brown, when you're watching them, you can kind of get them mixed up. Carter's a little bit quicker. He's got a little bit more of a burst than Jordan does, but they're pretty much the same size and do a lot of the same things. Antonio Williams is a bigger kid. I mean, he's not much smaller than Branch, um, but he's still got quicks and he's got good power. So I think it's going to be certainly a good one, two, three punch. Uh, but I mean, Williams with his size and speed, I, I, I'm not sure that he may not be the the one A guy. What do you think, Ross? Yeah, I mean, I think it's be hard to, to keep the ball out of Carter's hands too. Um, I think you could see, you know, a guy like Jordan Brown kind of getting pushed out because we saw how dynamic Michael Carter was, and knowing how much you know Fedora likes to get the ball into just game changing players who can, you know, get into space and make yards. I don't think they're going to ignore Carter. But, yeah, I mean, Antonio Williams is a big guy coming out of high school. Obviously couldn't crack the the rotation at Ohio State. But from what you've kind of said and what we've kind of heard, he seems to be the kind of the, the perfect mix of a guy who can, he can get outside and get some yardage, but also run between the tackles. A guy who's maybe a little more physically ready than, than a, a Carter who's only been there for one year. But I think we'll see a running back by committee for the first couple games, but it, it could whittle down to uh, there's just so many running backs to just to just maybe Antonio Williams and Michael Carter and, and Jordan Brown to a uh, to an extent as well because he did do some nice things for UNC last season. But we were in the office just laughing about how many how many running backs they have this year, and it's going to be uh, there's only one ball as they say, so that should be interesting to watch. But definitely. Um, it definitely helps to have Antonio Williams. I think leadership-wise and morale-wise, you kind of see him on Twitter and kind of see his personality interact with the players at these different camps and and meet the heels. And he, he's, he seems like a strong leader and a good guy to have on your team who kind of knows what it's like to play big-time football at Ohio State. He's come back to home uh, for his last two seasons, and it just feels like he is a good force and a good personality to have for these guys. Absolutely. And and I can't wait to read the threads on the message boards when Carolina has first and goal from the five. And, you know, it's not just four straight <laughs> runs by Antonio Williams. It's going to be great. <laughs> All right, guys, let's go ahead and close this one out talking about the meet the heels. Ross, you mentioned that a little bit briefly. That's where you got your sighting of William Barnes. You were on location for that one. I mean, it's a fan event. It's supposed to be there to kind of just promote the the team. I think this is the first time, though, that it was held inside of the Blue Zone rather than on the actual Keenan Field. So start with there. You know, how, how was kind of the atmosphere being that it was indoors for this time? Yeah, uh, and actually Greg was there, too, with his kids. So we had myself there, Greg Barnes was there on location, and actually our intern, new intern Gregory Hall, was there as well. So we had three different people staffing that event. Let's see, last year, where last year where it was, I'm trying to think where it was last year, usually it's held inside the um, the indoor facility over there, um, the, the old one. And I forget where it was last year. But – I thought that it's been on on the field at least. That's not, that's not since I've covered the team. It was usually I think it's always been inside. Last year was on Franklin Street. That's right that, for the Jordan thing. Great. It was outside on that side street off Franklin for the Jordan yep. thing. And yep. the last two years it was inside the old indoor practice facility. I've never been here when it's been on been in Keenan, but I'm sure it, maybe it has been. Um, but that's beside the point. You know, it's great. There were a lot of fans. Uh, I was kind of inside, just kind of taking pictures of players. Um, it was a good group of guys. There's not a lot of bad guys on this team. They're they're close. They're tight. There's a tight knit group of guys. You see the coaches kind of milling around. Uh, the players goofing around. It's great for the kids. It's great for 
people who don't usually get to interact with a team or even go to a game, kind of like uh, late night with Roy. They're people who maybe might not be able to travel or pay for a ticket or, or take time off work to get there. It's a great event for that. Um, and it, and it's, it's cool to see the kids interacting and everybody getting their stuff signed. Uh, not much kind of football intel to, to kind of take away from that. Um, you know, I spoke to some sources and spoke to some players, but that's kind of stuff that I use for, for later stuff. But Greg was there with his kids. Let's get what he thought about the actual, you know, maybe the family aspect of that and what your vibes were from just kind of milling around the outside of the blue zone. Yeah, I was impressed with the turnout. I figured a lot of people would be parking in the Ramshead deck. So when we pulled in, there wasn't a lot of people parked there. I was like, uh-oh, this may not be good. But then you actually you actually walk up to the stadium and you see the line going into the blue zone for autographs was wrapped around uh, the south side of the stadium down close to about the 50-yard line. So that's a pretty substantial line. And I think the people at the end of that line, it maybe took them an hour and a half to actually get to the door, uh, the blue zone. Um, and so everybody had gotten in to the blue zone by 540 and the event was supposed to close at six. So uh, I think it worked out just, just fine, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of people there and I think they did a good job. Uh, they, they had a lot of the inflatables and a lot of, you know, the kids club and they had you know, Bojangles and all kinds of different vendors out on the, I guess that's the East side uh, there across from the Ramsad, which was in the shade. Which was nice. It was so you hot. Had kids running around. Yeah, it was hot. Had kids running around and you know getting balloons and face painting and all that. So I think they did a good, did a good job with it. Um, I didn't actually go into the blue zone. I know Ross was in there, but from the outside, I talked with a bunch of different people, and everybody seemed pretty excited about the season, ready to to get the three and nine year out of their system. Yeah, I mean, I think just playing Cal is going to be a relief to to the fan base it's only a few short weeks away guys so for everyone listening in look forward to more coverage of the camps from inside carolina guys unless, unless if there's anything else i think we can go ahead and wrap this one up and um move on to the rest of the week oh all right well for everyone here at inside carolina thank you all for listening and like i said just make sure that you check back for more coverage until then greg ross have a good one guys see you john thanks john Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.